This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. Greetings, listeners. This is Alex Jimenez, host of the Fear Free podcast series. In this continuation of episode one, we are going to be talking about how to implement some of the Fear Free tactics into your day-to-day practice. We have with us still Dr. Catherine Prim and Dr. John Talmadge. Dr. Prim, in the last part of the episode, we talked a lot about staff and how you get them on board with Fear Free. Can you tell us a little bit about what were some of the first things you did, some of the first Fear Free tactics that you took back and how you implemented that into your practice? Well, we have sort of um, a tool ladder as well. You know, we start with the easy stuff that's right there in the refrigerator or whatever, the treats and things, and we just sort of climb the ladder. And, and we definitely reach a point where we have exhausted the easy things, and then we start the conversation with the owner about medicating. And I have, um, I have been so pleasantly surprised at people's, the owner's buy-in on that. I saw a dog recently, and we had seen her just a few months, a couple, maybe a month or so ago. And my associate veterinarian had suggested that the dog have a pre-visit pharmaceutical. So she sent that home with the dog. The dog was trying to bite everybody. And um, so the client actually had remembered to give it. And the second visit, and it was only the second time at my practice, the dog did great. And the owner was thrilled and my staff was thrilled. Nobody got hurt. The dog didn't seem stressed. It just, it was just a success. And those uh, Dr. Talmadge is right. That that keeps you going when you have the successes, and we talk about it, and we post it on social media, and we say, "Look at this! Look at this dog used to hide." Um, I have a number of clients that used to say, "We pull into your driveway, and she starts shaking." I hate that. That's not why I'm here. So um, we're making a difference with that, and I just am really passionate about it, and so is my staff. Right. Those are some really good examples, Dr. Prim. Dr. Talmadge, can you give us some examples of what it might look like in a bigger practice like yours? Yeah. Let, let me talk about uh, a challenge in a large practice like ours in terms of implementing fear-free. You know, what we found is, is that we could not, just with the number of folks we've got and the training that's, that will be required uh, and the fact that fear-free is not something that's black and white. It's not like a computer program necessarily where you can just, you can train everybody on, on how to use Cornerstone and, and, uh, and there are any of the other programs and here's how you're going to enter data into it. And here's how you do this. You know, it's not black and white like that. You know, we're dealing with behavior. We're dealing with fear, anxiety, and stress. And what works for one pet may not necessarily work for another pet. And, and so it, it takes a while to become comfortable with this. It is change. Um, and, and so what we, what we found in a, in a large practice like ours is that we weren't necessarily going to just turn the switch and that everything that comes in, we're going to be practicing all these fear free, uh, uh all the foundation <laughs> uh, practices of uh, fear free on every pet. We, we, we figured that we had to start somewhere. And what can we do so that folks can become comfortable with this and start learning some of the techniques? So certainly we start with the advocate, the one who is the, the most, uh, who has gone through the modules, who is trained in this, who has been attending lectures. Uh, so we start with the advocate. Um, and they're the person we start to look towards and help us with some of these things. And then we started picking, where do we want to start? 
And we picked a couple different places within our practice of where we could start. One was with nail trims. Um, what can we do to make the nail trims so it's not so, uh, so fearful for these pets? And that started to teach us about the treat ladder. It started about teaching us doing things in the rooms. It started by teaching us going to a different place. It started, uh, you know, thinking about should we be using some, uh, uh, pre-visit uh, uh, pharmaceuticals in terms of helping keeping these pets calm. So nail trends is a good place to start. We also started with puppies and kittens. When puppies and kittens come in, you know, what are the things that we can be doing so that the, that visit isn't so stressful for the puppy and kittens? And it really taught us about the treat ladder, about how to do the exams, about blood draws, uh, about doing a lot more with the owners. Uh, when we first started this, and we started telling our techs that we want to start doing uh, the vast majority of blood draws in the room with the owner. We're not going to be taking the pet to the back anymore. Now, that was a major change for us. For years, of, you know, we go to the back. We're going to do all those things so that the owner doesn't have to see them. Well, no, now we want the owners to be a part of them if the owner wants to be a part of it and if it's better for the pet. So we started, uh, you know, with puppies and kittens and started doing some of those things with clients. So we started, we started in those areas. And then as we started to become comfortable with that and we started sharing success stories with that, then we started looking, can we start to expand this to other visits then? Now, I will tell you, with a practice with our size, there are challenges because there are days where we have to give ourselves a failing mark on a certain pet because we weren't following all that. And, and I get some staff that's very frustrated because, you know what, this pet that came in, it wasn't done correctly. We didn't do the things we should have. And I tell them, okay, I understand, and good for you that you recognize that. Now, let's talk about what are we going to do different next time, okay? Because the reality is not every patient that comes in are we going to be successful with or that we've necessarily done our best with. That's not, that's not, not that we're going to accept that. We have to understand it happens. What we want to do is how can we get better for the next visit and learn case by case by case. And so communication in this is real important. Communication among the staff, between the different departments, um, what's been working, what's not, as we get, as we start doing it with more and more pets, uh, communication is absolutely key. And let's, let's share the successes, but let's share the ones where we didn't do so well. And so what we are doing now, we are to the point where, uh, we are at the monthly department meetings. We will sit down. And we will spend time on Fear Free at each of the department meetings and talk about, let's talk about what's happened in the last month. Let's not, we're not blaming anybody if there's been a concern, but let's share what those concerns were and what happened with a certain pet. And let's talk about what we could have done better. This is not about pointing fingers at folks and saying, oh, you were bad. You didn't do this. This is, no, what, what could we have done better? And so that for us is what we're finding is working well for us, you know. Again, we've got 65 folks, we've got eight doctors, and we've got that uh, that bell-shaped curve, so everyone's got a whole different spot on the continuum. And our goal is that everybody just keeps getting better and better at, what, at where they're at. Uh, not that everybody has to be at the leading edge of this right away, but we're going to get us there. And and that's how we're working at it. So we started slow, and we're continuing to, every day to look at how can we get better. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Talmadge. Dr. Prim, do you see some of those same challenges even in a smaller practice? Sure. Well, um, 
it got a whole lot easier once we started to see how well it worked. And um, we we call um, the cat patients that completely lose it, we call that a kitty come apart. And we have not had any kitty come aparts since we implemented this because everyone knows not to push it, not to push it to the point of a kitty come apart. And so we added uh, a little window perch. Sometimes I do right, right in the exam room. Sometimes I do an entire exam there. And when the cats don't growl and nobody gets bitten, and that is like a reward within itself. So it made implementation a lot easier. And we were all kind of amazed at how well it worked. I mean, you, you hear it, you, you, you may not believe it to the heart of you until you see it in action that it really works. And then more and more of my staff got excited. They were like, oh, wow, this really works. And, and then it got easier. But I'm, I'm with John. Sometimes we just have to know when to say when. Right, right. So when you're incorporating some of this, how do you know when to draw the line? What are some of those things that you decide not to do? Well, the modules talk about the struggling thing and the definition of what constitutes drawing the line, um, three struggles for a dog and two struggles for a cat. And that has been a, that one has been hard because some owners will say, just do it. I don't want to have to bring her back. I don't want, you know, I don't want to come all the way back out here, just trim her nail or just do whatever. And you kind of have to say as the doctor, this is not in the best interest of your dog for me to hold your dog down. And so I, I tell people, you know what, uh, I'm fear-free certified now. And so um, I, I can't torture your dog anymore. So um, that has been probably a difficult thing is some clients aren't really on board with that. But I do say, you know, think about how awful this would be if you went to your doctor's office and they brought three nurses in there to hold you down and no one, and you, they all spoke Chinese and you couldn't understand what they were saying and you thought you were going to die. And most clients will will think about that for a minute and then say, okay, you know, you're right. I, I really hadn't thought of it that way. Alex, and we've had uh, some similar experiences. Um, you know, we are now telling owners, uh, they come in and, and if we've had a, a pet that uh, has uh, as, uh, is particularly fearful. If we've, if we've done all we can, we've tried to draw blood three times and we just can't get to it. Well, we've got the vaccines done and now they want the nail trims, but the dog is just really having a tough time or the cat. You know, we, we, we have told owners that, listen, we're just not going to be able to do this today. Uh, the pet is just, uh, your pet is just too stressed and here's what's going on. And what we would like to do is reschedule for another day and start over again with the treat ladder and do some things and, and work our way into it. Or have you come do some friendly visits where all we're doing is treating the pet and, uh, and, and, and get them used to that it's not always a bad thing. Um, so, you know, we offer suggestions to clients. Well, we're going to try you with, uh, we're going to send home some medication and have you come back so that we're not so stressed on the next visit. We want to try that. And what we have found is that the majority of clients uh, appreciate that and are willing to do that. And uh, and it's been the majority of clients. I will say that we have probably had uh, a few clients. Uh, I can think of two who, uh, as Catherine said, we want you to just get it done. We don't want to come back. And we've had to tell those clients that this is not in the best interest of your pet. We're sorry. 
And if this is not what you want, then perhaps we're not the right practice for you at this point. So we have probably lost a couple of clients. On the other hand, we have gained a lot more clients from referrals of clients telling other, other folks, this is the way my pet is handling this, and this is how much we appreciate that. And for those folks who their pets are their family, um, they really appreciate that. And honestly, those are the clients we really want. And uh, we have found the benefits have far outweighed the downside on this in terms of explaining to the clients why we're doing things the way we are. Right. And that client side of things is so important. I couldn't agree more. Now, how do you get your staff, kind of going back to that first part of the episode, how do you get your staff on board with this concept of sometimes you just have to say, no, today's not the day this is going to get done? Have you been able to communicate that to your staff? Yeah, we we have. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we had our veterinary assistants talking about nail trims and telling a client that, listen, we could only get one paw done today and we need to do some things differently so we can get this done. Otherwise, it's going to get worse and worse for your pet. So we've had, uh, you know, our staff talking, uh, we've had our technicians talking to a client that, listen, we're just not going to be able to get the blood done today, you know. Uh, we've tried, we've tried several times and it's just getting worse and this is not working. And so our, our staff is, is, is comfortable in talking to clients about that. But, you know, again, we have talked about this at staff meetings. We've talked about it at department meetings and explained the challenges that are going on. But we've also empowered the staff that you have the right to tell a client that this is why we're doing this. And if a client has a problem with it, as doctors or as owners or as leadership, we are certainly willing to kind of talk to a client and explain it as well. We will support them in that because your staff has to realize that they are empowered to be advocates for those pets. Alex, can I add something to that? Absolutely. Well, we have, um, it's kind of funny, but I almost imply uh, when I talk about it and I say, you know, I'm fear-free certified. I can't do this anymore. I can't force pet to um, to submit to this. I often say, as a fear-free certified professional, I can't force your pet to submit to something that frightens him. Sorry, that's great. That's great, Captain. I, I I like that. I think that's some good advice. You know, we do that with a lot of other things. You know, we tell a client who, if they haven't seen the pet for a year, they're calling it for a prescription. We can't do that. We we've we've had to have seen your pet recently, and uh, I think. That makes a lot of sense to me. Right. I I agree. Absolutely. Now, for both of you, you both come from extremely successful practices and you both have very busy day-to-day operations. How do you come at Fear Free from a time management perspective? Because I'd have to imagine that taking on a lot of these things is a can be a big time commitment. Well, um, we already allow a little extra time for our appointments. Uh, because we are small, and that's kind of been uh, one of the key points for me is that I wanted a, a lot of quality, a lot of communication time with my owner. So it it fit in pretty seamlessly. But you have to recognize that it will take some extra time. It gets better and better, though, because your staff fine-tunes which treats. And then when you've seen a pet before and you have it on the chart with the emotional record that says, um, you know what, Ellie loves peanut butter, then you go in the room, you've already got the peanut butter. 
or it says, uh, you know, Fluffy doesn't like tuna fish, you don't even bother to take that. So it does get better. You just have to have, have faith and trust us that it's worth it and it, and it gets better over time. Alex, you know, one of the things we, we, we found, um, and I do get a concern from, uh, from veterinarians, is that we're a real busy practice, that this is just going to take too much time, it's too much change, we're just not going to be able to do this. And so, certainly, you know, we, we, we're real busy. Some, some days, uh, you know, we run 20 minutes appointments and, and we are totally booked. Uh, and, uh, that was a concern as well. Well, and that's why we found, uh, let, let's start slow. Let, let's start realizing we may not be able to get every patient initially, but let's start with the nail trims. Let's start with the puppy kit. So, you know, our puppy kit visits are typically 40 minutes anyway. What a great place to start and learn these things. And as folks become more comfortable with it and you pick those, you pick those certain cases and folks start to become comfortable with the techniques, uh, with the treat ladder, with what we can be doing, uh, it starts to pick up speed because now it starts to become, it becomes every day. It becomes the new, the new paradigm, if you will, and people are comfortable with it. And, and then you can start to expand it into other areas. So that starting slow in a large practice, I think, has worked very well for us, and it helped address that time issue. And once this becomes, you become comfortable with it. And folks, are, it, 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 we, what we find is, and as Catherine said, you know, we record in that emotional record how the last visit went with the pet, what worked, what are the things that, you know, do it in the room, do it with peanut butter, loves peanut butter, loves cheese, loves this. And that helps then take the time off. So for the next visit, we don't have to go through all that again. So as you start to incorporate it more and more into the practice, you find that this thing starts to flow. So that's what has worked well for us from a time perspective. And what we find today is occasionally we still get the case. And you pet, uh, and it may take us a little longer. But what we're also finding is on the nail trim side, we're actually going quicker now because we've found out what works for a lot of these pets I don't have to have three people that are doing a nail trim any longer. So that works well. And if I can also, um, uh, one other thing to think about, and as, as you go through the uh, modules, um, and it's, uh, you know, we've been going through the modules to get more folks fear free certified in our practice. I, I gotta tell you, there are some great videos in there on doing some things in terms of blood draws, blood pressures, uh, cystus and T-cysts, things like that, that honestly, uh, from a uh, gentle handling techniques, from being able to do that for the pet, that, you know, we've been doing this thing for three years now. And I looked at some of those uh, those uh, videotapes uh, uh, that are on the modules with uh, with some of our staff uh, the last couple of weeks, and I'm going, holy cow, look at that. I didn't even realize we could be doing some of those things. We've got to start doing some of these things. So there's, that is a great resource, uh, and I encourage folks to look at them, but go back and review them and review them with the staff because there's some really great ways on doing some of these things, and it will help you uh, in terms of the whole fear-free initiative and reducing the fear, anxiety, and stress. And as you do more and more of these, we'll also you'll get faster and quicker at it, and you're not wasting time on some of the old techniques. I have um, some really interesting ways that are kind of little tips. Maybe you said throw in any little tip that you have. Um, on our computer computers in the exam room, the screensaver does a slideshow, 
that is about fear-free and is about um, the owner. You know, we may recommend this. We may recommend that. We have posters on the wall that say, we will never force your pet. Um, understand that as a fear-free environment, we will never force your pet, that kind of thing. So when I walk in the room, the owner's already on the, the right page because they've been watching the the screensavers they've been talking to the assistant and then by the time I get in with my little fear-free certified logo they're ready they're on board they're it's a team thing so don't forget including that owner that is that is huge that has been a cornerstone for our success what, what a wonderful suggestion what a wonderful suggestion yeah, absolutely agree, Dr. Prim. That's a great point. And it's actually a really good segue into wrapping things up. You mentioned the owner. Our next podcast is actually on communicating fear-free to the owner and the client. So uh, thank you guys both again for joining us today. You guys have given some really great advice in terms of how our listeners can start implementing fear-free both from a staff perspective in the part one of this episode and as well as some of those tactics and day-to-day things that you can start doing to get this going. Thank you both again. And uh, for our listeners out there, be sure to tune in next month. And in the meantime, check out vetfolio.com under the CE Center to see some of our exclusive fear-free professional resources.